Hey, Retrospectors, for our third birthday, we've filmed an hour-long Q&A answering your questions. We discuss our favourite facts, how we make the show, and what we've learned along the way. If you're already supporting us on Patreon, thank you. You can watch it right now at patreon.com slash retrospectors. And if you're not a Patreon member, sign up. You don't have to pay a thing to become a free member and watch it now. So check it out. It's free. Patreon.com slash retrospectors. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, Retrospectors. Happy Saturday to you. We have another great show to share with you today, and one that flows nicely from Monday's episode on the hotline from Washington to Moscow, and I suppose on the solar apocalypse that's awaiting us all. That's because it's on nuclear power, and it's by our friends at The Week magazine, which incidentally is where Ollie and Rebecca and I first met. The podcast is called The Overview, and in each show, Julia O'Driscoll gets to grips with an idea that's currently in the news, delving into the story's background and considering where it might go next. It's pacey and it's fascinating and Julia has genuinely one of the most mellifluous radio voices since, well, since Holly Mann. And we have a whole episode for you now for your weekend listening. Enjoy. The energies that are locked in the core, the nuclei of atoms, are very large. I think everyone has heard of Einstein's famous formula, E, which is energy, equals M, which is mass or weight, times the square of the speed of light. The speed of light, as we everyone knows, is, is huge. It's 300 thousand meters per second so if you multiply even a very small amount of mass times that huge number obviously that little amount of mass must have a lot of energy in it so energy equals mass times the square of the speed of light that's the story of nuclear power and of nuclear weapons The world has used fossil fuels to create energy for almost as long as we've been generating electricity to power our factories and our homes. But we're now facing the ever more extreme consequences of climate change, driven by the gases that fossil fuels emit. Some scientists believe that nuclear energy is the answer to the urgent question of how to tackle global warming. But the public seem less convinced. So can nuclear power overcome its image problem? From The Week magazine, I'm Julia O'Driscoll, and this is The Overview. It was an accidental discovery. Nobody expected it. That's Richard Rhodes, a Pulitzer Prize-winning author and expert in the history of science and technology. He told me how excited scientists were when nuclear energy was first discovered in Berlin around 85 years ago. I talked to some of the scientists just after Christmas time in 1938, 
And they said, we all hit ourselves in the head and said, you fool, because there was equipment in every physicist's laboratory that would have allowed them to make that discovery. One of them told me the discovery was overripe. Anyone could have made it anywhere. It just happens to have been made in Nazi Germany, in Berlin, nine months before the beginning of the Second World War. Two German chemists, Otto Hahn and Fritz Strassmann, accredited with the discovery of nuclear fission, the process where atoms are split apart, releasing energy. Scientists worldwide quickly realised this energy release could be used to generate electricity and maybe do other things too. If you could configure it right, and they weren't sure it would work, but they thought it might, you could make bombs of unheralded explosive power. So the first response was from the physicists who realized that it had enormous potential for peace and for war. But because war came so quickly to Europe, just nine months later with the German invasion of Poland, Europeans began to look first at the potential for weapons, and Great Britain in particular, because it was under siege almost immediately. Uh, That, as someone once said, concentrated the mind brilliantly (laughs) to realize that you were about to be bombed or were, in fact, being bombed. So then the question of whether you could build bombs with nuclear energy was foremost. Not so in the United States. It was not until, really, the United States was attacked by the Japanese in Pearl Harbor, Hawaii, that we really got serious over here about nuclear possibilities. It wasn't long before the world was shown how much destruction nuclear weapons could unleash. To the world, August 6, 1945, began as just another day. But to a single B-29 over the Japanese city of Hiroshima, it was the beginning of a new era for civilization. 8.15 in the morning found a 400-pound bomb with a destructive force of 20,000 tons of TNT mushrooming up over the stunned enemy city. To the frightened inhabitants, the end of the world had come. The atomic bombs dropped by US forces over the Japanese cities of Hiroshima and Nagasaki killed thousands of civilians. It's the only time nuclear weapons have been used in conflict, and leaders worldwide vowed, never again. Once peace returned, other uses for nuclear power were explored. The breakthrough for nuclear energy came in 1951, when a small nuclear reactor in Idaho generated enough electricity to power. Four light bulbs. This new potential source of energy was quickly embraced by other countries. In 1954, the Soviet Union launched the world's first nuclear power plant, which could put out about five megawatts of energy. Two years later, the UK opened the Calder Hall nuclear plant in Sellafield, which generated 90 megawatts. So just to explain those numbers, a megawatt will power around 10,100 watt bulbs. So that's quite a jump from four bulbs in 1951 the 900,000 that could be powered by the UK's first plant. Nuclear power had arrived. But how did people feel about getting their energy from a technology that had previously been weaponized? 
My impression in looking over the history is that there was generally enthusiasm for nuclear power. It was presented perhaps a bit too optimistically, but it is a safe technology. And even then, it was a safe technology. No one, no civilian in the United States has ever been killed from nuclear power. And there were promises of automobiles being driven by nuclear power. I don't quite know how they plan to put a nuclear reactor in the trunk of a car, but that's the kind of thing you find in the popular uh, magazines of the day and so forth. So there was a general sense that this was a grand new thing. It's an interesting and complicated story that nuclear power was polluted, if you will, with fears that people had about weapons. All radiation suddenly became something that people were terrified of. Despite public concern about nuclear technology, the push to adopt it continued. By the end of the 70s, the UK alone had made plans to build 10 more nuclear reactors. But everything would change in 1986. From their Washington embassy today, Russian officials told the Americans that the disaster was under control and casualties were light. There was an official thank you for the offer of American assistance, but no request for help. The fact of the matter is, though, uh, that really the, the Soviets were terribly uh, derelict. I think their conduct was reprehensible in not reporting to the world, as well as to their own people, uh, the dimensions of this disaster. The disaster at the Chernobyl plant in Soviet Ukraine confirmed public fears about nuclear energy. According to official data, just 31 people died as a direct result of the accident. But radiation exposure from the meltdown is believed to have left thousands more with deadly cancers and other fatal diseases. Chernobyl remains one of the starkest warnings of what can happen when nuclear technology goes wrong. Despite the fact that it was a very different kind of reactor from those that are built anywhere else in the world, I think Chernobyl left people with a great terrors of nuclear power. And I'm not surprised it was a terrible disaster. The shadow of the Chernobyl disaster still looms large and has been cited by nuclear critics ever since. Experts have insisted that the meltdown was due to design flaws and human error and say that modern reactors have far better safety systems in place. Plants now also have to follow strict international safety standards and be built with systems to shut down reactors in the event of a malfunction or other disaster. But no system is foolproof, as a more recent accident at a power plant in Japan proved. In March 2011, a massive tsunami hit the nuclear power plant in Fukushima, causing a cooling system failure that resulted in a meltdown. Richard explained. Fukushima, for unaccountable reasons, put their diesel generators in the basement of the plant, even though they were fully aware that a tsunami would flood the lower level of the plant. The Japanese have been around for so long as a, one population of people. There was a stone put there in 800 AD, farther up the hillside from that plant, that said in Japanese script, this is the highest level a tsunami ever hit this coast in 800 AD. Don't build anything below this that you don't expect to be flooded out if another tsunami comes. Despite that wise old information, the Fukushima reactors had their diesel generators in the basement. So when the tsunami came and flooded out those generators, they couldn't be used to shut the plant down. And the plant went ahead and basically destroyed itself. Reactors normally put those diesel generators up on the third floor where they should be. 
So is it reasonable to let such accidents shape our views about nuclear power? I asked Dr. Douglas Parr, Policy Director at Greenpeace in the UK. Is it fair to think about how those disasters have shaped public opinion? No, it's not unfair to think about those because anybody who's within 100 miles of a nuclear plant is going to have to at some point think about those as well. Could it happen here? Now, is it true to say the vast majority of reactors, that doesn't happen to them? Yeah, of course it's true. But it doesn't mean that it's not something to be concerned about. Despite these concerns, proponents say nuclear power is one of a very small number of reliable, safe and scalable options to generate green energy. The UK government has put nuclear at the heart of its energy plans, setting a target for 25% of the nation's electricity to come from nuclear plants by 2050. The announcement has not been welcomed by all. My heart sank when I heard it, not just because I think it's the wrong path, but because it will prove an enormous distraction from the very real job of delivery of a whole range of climate-friendly measures that are going to be essential. We need a big upgrade on our buildings and on our homes. We need a massive expansion of renewable power. We need a big expansion of electricity charging infrastructure for vehicles. We need investment and quite sophisticated policy analysis in the grid balancing issues. Even if there was a lot of nuclear power stations, we'd still be needing to do all this stuff. And yet the bandwidth is being taken up by nuclear power stations which probably aren't very good on cost basis, are going to remain controversial and there's every reason to think won't actually happen. But those who back the government's nuclear strategy say that with no other options able to meet the world's power needs, nuclear is key to ending our dependency on fossil fuels. The Guardian's columnist George Monbiot has argued that to shut down viable nuclear capacity in the midst of a climate change emergency is a refined form of madness. There are over 440 nuclear plants generating power across the globe, and more and more countries are investing in the technology. So has nuclear energy overcome what some have called its PR problem? I think it's got problems, but I think they're deeper than PR. I mean, for sure, the nuclear industry is not doing itself any favours by often behaving quite secretly and, and not acknowledging some of the real issues that there are with nuclear power. On the other hand, when people are concerned about nuclear, they've got plenty to go on. There's plenty of legitimate reasons for being concerned about nuclear. They can't be airbrushed away by PR. They're real. The mountain of of nuclear waste that's sitting around the world, some of it really very radioactive, very hot, that can't be airbrushed away either. That's real and there's... There's very little progress on finding an answer to that, partly because it's a very, you know, it's a really, really difficult thing to find an answer to. So there are also very tangible problems with nuclear power. We'll be back with more after the break. While some say nuclear power is the key to the future of green energy, There are a number of high-profile critics, including Green Party MP Caroline Lucas, who argued this year that nuclear energy is too costly, too slow and too dangerous. I asked Doug Parr if he agreed. Well, I think she's right. 
I don't think you can get away from the fact that even even assuming we rule out the kind of you know catastrophic accident, and I'm not saying you necessarily can, but let's just let's just run with that. They still create enormous amounts of waste and waste that we don't really know what to do with. The waste that is coming out of the modern reactors is actually more difficult to deal with than the stuff that we still don't know what to do with. They are certainly slow. The first promises around in the UK nuclear reactors were promising that they'd be ready in 2017 and now it's looking more like 2027. So it's something like two decades to get a reactor. And is it too expensive? Well, it's way more expensive than solar and uh, wind per unit of electricity. Now, the, the, the nuclear advocates will, of course, say, well, hang on, yeah, you know, there's, there's periods when the wind doesn't blow and the sun doesn't shine. Of course they're right. I mean, every renewable engineer knows that and has been thinking and working on that. So the question is, if you just look at it from the cost point of view, is the extra cost that you're paying for nuclear worth it for the couple of weeks, a couple of weeks a year, maybe not even that much, sometimes it's only a couple of days, for when the sort of storage and other techniques that you would need to assure grid security during that time. And I think as time goes by, that as technologies emerge and keep improving, I think the answer to that is pretty clearly going to be no by the time there's any, any significant number of nuclear reactors in the UK. But on the other side of the debate... Richard Rhodes thinks nuclear is the answer as the world races to decarbonize. I think the UK and every other country that's developing or working on the problem of global warming needs to move rapidly toward much more reliance on nuclear because nuclear power releases in its operation no carbon at all. It's not a carbon process. It's a different process. So if you count everything in the entire nuclear power cycle, nuclear power produces about as much CO2 as solar, which is very little. Plans to boost the UK's nuclear power capacity have been made in the past. Most recently, in 2010, when eight new plants were promised. But so far, more than a decade later, only one is in the works, Hinkley Point C in Somerset which after a series of setbacks is now due to open in June 2027 and set to cost around £26 billion. Doug says focusing on nuclear power is delaying developments in renewable energies and so-called clean heating, heat provided without releasing any CO2 or other noxious gases. The idea that we're going to be building a new nuclear power station a year, I think is frankly for the birds. Last time we got any numbers out of the industry and energy department, there were more civil servants working on nuclear than there were on renewables and on clean heat combined. Now, both of renewables and clean heat are big ticket items that are absolutely essential. And yet there were fewer working on that than on nuclear, which, you know, its advocates would say would have a role. But even the biggest advocates are now talking about it having, you know, sort of 25% of UK power. It's a small thing. It's a bit part player. And I mean, I, you know, I'm from Greenpeace. I don't think it should play any role at all. But even if you're an advocate, it's a small part of what we need to do. Even so, other countries are continuing to embrace nuclear energy. France has led the way in Europe and now gets around 70% of its power from nuclear sources. And it's reaping the benefits. Richard Rhodes explained. 
But I ask you to look at France, because one of the things it did that people never seem to think about is it cleaned up its air. Look at the air pollution in Beijing and think about why the Chinese want to go nuclear, because it's a, it's a public health issue. It's not only a global warming issue. So Eastern Europe is going nuclear. Asia is going nuclear. The United States and Europe are going away from nuclear for reasons that I think are not very good reasons. But it's all going to come back together, I think, in the longer run. The war in Ukraine has given world leaders a fresh sense of urgency to review their country's energy sources, because much of the world's gas comes from Russia. Though barely a decade has passed since the Fukushima nuclear disaster, Japan's government is again looking to nuclear to meet its energy needs. I think in the first instance, probably they'll just be seeking to restart existing nuclear plants. Many of the reasons why those nuclear plants have not been restarted, though, is because they face fierce local opposition. And that fierce local opposition isn't going anywhere um, because what happened in Fukushima, the presence of earthquakes is still there. It's basically the same agencies that uh, kept saying there was no problem with potential tsunamis and indeed that there was no problem when there was clearly a problem at Fukushima. And those same agencies are now saying it's okay, it's going to be safe to restart them. And for understandable reasons, many of the Japanese public are, frankly, a bit sceptical. And there's no ignoring the issue of nuclear waste. I asked Doug what the UK plans to do with its radioactive material if the government does make good on its nuclear ambitions. There is no process at the moment that is going to deliver a nuclear waste dump because... The government are very keen in the UK to put it in Cumbria, but the Cumbrians have a habit of not wanting it. And so they're going to try again. They've opened it out to any community who wants to take an interest in holding, in uh, hosting the nuclear dump. Funnily enough, not many are that interested. But until that process plays out, there is basically no plan for nuclear waste and it has to be stored on site at the nuclear power stations where it is generated. Um, So all nuclear power station sites at the moment are nuclear waste stores. All the proposed nuclear power stations are going to be nuclear waste stores for the next century and a half. Doug hopes the focus will shift to the green energy technologies already in operation or under development in the UK. There's also some digital technologies that allow demand to be shifted around and work locally so that people can sort of effectively buy from their local wind farm, which I think are not going to be transformative in terms of total amounts, but they will be transformative in the social process of adoption of these new technologies. So there's a lot going on that I think was going to come to the fore in the next five years. What everyone agrees is that an answer to the climate crisis is urgently needed. Richard believes that nuclear power will become one of the world's main energy sources over the next 50 years. I think it will survive its PR problem because it's so obviously the right solution to the larger problem. There's simply no way that we could build enough solar and wind energy sources to meet those demands simultaneously. It's going to have to be nuclear and natural gas. That's all for this episode of The Overview. Thanks to Richard Rhodes and Douglas Parr for joining me. Thanks also to The Week's Kari Wilkin, our producer, Rich Jarman, who also composed the music on this week's show, and to Rethink Audio. 
To keep up with the latest episodes of The Overview, hit follow wherever you get your podcasts. That's it. That's The Overview. Follow the show wherever you get your podcasts. There's a link in the show notes. And we'll be back on Monday. See you then. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details.